Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. How do you think about the trouble in your life? Maybe this would be a good moment just to pause and reflectively consider when trouble comes into your life. Maybe you're in trouble right now, and so it's not a a leap to think about what is happening to you. Perhaps everything is going well, and well, would you take some time to think about how you normally react when trouble comes into your life? The reason I'm asking the question is, I counsel a lot of Christians who have a lot of adverse things happening to them. Now, statistically, that is the life that I live. I live on the underbelly of Christianity. It's a dark place where good, nice, uh, churchy Christians do not generally live and don't spend a lot of time, but this is the life that I have chosen. And so I end up interacting with a lot of people who are going through some heavy-duty stuff. In many ways, these Christians that I interact with on a daily and weekly basis, they are modern representations of Jonah. And what I mean by that is that their difficulties are swallowing them up. One of the things that I want to communicate to my friends in trouble is how they need a bigger vision of who God is. And I I don't say that in a a condescending way at all. I, I want to be very careful in how I communicate to them. I want to be compassionate, but with compassion, there also has to be courage. And so depending on the person that I'm talking to, some way, somehow, I do want to communicate to them, even while they're hurting, because this is essential. And we all need a bigger vision of God, especially when life is stormy. And so we don't want our compassion to get into some kind of mushy-gushy, something that doesn't have any teeth in it at all. And we don't want our courage and uh, the, the difficult things we say to them to come across harsh. So we want to find that balance because ultimately when you are in trouble, you need that sturdy friend coming alongside you with with sympathy uh, to be able to speak in your life. Did you know that anything God does to you or allows to happen to you is because He loves you? Now, that is an excellent starting point, and for some people, that would be really hard to get their minds around, and I understand that, so I trust over the next few moments that that God will, will help to, to be able to grapple with this idea of God's love, especially in context of this verse here, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. It says, "...and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah." And Jonah was in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. Now, you juxtapose that to the fact that God loves you, and that could really be a tough putt uh, for some people, and I do understand. And so I want to move carefully here as we think about these things. Perhaps what we could do is uh, rewind the tape, and let's just pretend that we are now in Sunday school, and you are a third grade teacher, or you are a third grader, and your third grade teacher tells you the story of Jonah and the well. It sounds incredible, doesn't it? And you go home and you tell your mommy about the story of the man swallowed by a giant fish. And your mom tells you how how great God is and what God can do. That's incredible. She also says Jonah was a Christian, 
you hear that, but it passes through your brain. I mean, you dismiss that he was a Christian since you already assumed that he was a Christian anyway, and so it doesn't connect with you, not as a third grader, that God would prepare trouble for one of his children, that God would allow one of his children prepare the fish so that one of his children can be swallowed by the fish. And it doesn't matter anyway. You believe in God, and there is nothing that he cannot do. My God is bigger than your God. And besides, you're tucked away in your bunk bed with your favorite stuffed animal, and Mommy and Daddy are in the next room. It is a wonderful life. Well, the text continues to say, The waters closed in over me to take my life, Jonah said. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around or about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the line whose bars closed upon me forever. That is that Christian man that the third grader quietly dismissed and did not connect the dots. Now let's step into your future. You're no longer eight years old or in a third grade Sunday school class mesmerized by flannel boards. You are unhappily married and have been for what seems like an eternity. Your marriage has the feel of a a prison sentence. The bars have incarcerated you. You're daily drowning in the belly of hopelessness as the weeds of discouragement are wrapping around your head and those bars of bitterness are closing upon you. No, you're not in third grade or Kansas anymore. Your safe little world where God was big and trouble was small has turned into a war between two worlds, and God seems so distant. Now, the question is, in those two scenarios, what has changed? Has God changed? Have you changed? Is God still big, good, kind, and loving? How have your beliefs about God changed from the third grade to where you are now? How has the world changed you? Now, perhaps you're not in a stormy marriage. I hope that you are not. Maybe your storm is some other kind of relational tension. But regardless, the storm is not the main thing anyway. It is merely the context. It is the construct for God to show himself strong, for you to show yourself weak, and for God to magnify himself through your inability. The storm has come, and Jonah is in a sea of trouble. Yahweh has appointed a great fish to swallow him. There is nothing that he can do. He is going down. He is going way down. Israel's relational and redeeming God appointed a fish to swallow this little man. Now think about that for a moment. Our great and loving God willfully picked out a fish from the massive ocean to swallow one of his children. Now, maybe someone would interject and and say it was because Jonah sinned. This is a diversion. And that diversion could be an attempt to protect God's reputation by getting him off the hook. I mean, God is love. 
How could a loving God cause this kind of trouble? Be released. God will be okay. We do not have to protect his reputation. But you do want to swim cautiously in those theological waters if you believed it was because Jonah sinned. You may get yourself entangled in doctrinal seaweed. If God did do it because Jonah sinned, then, well, we're all candidates for fish food because we're just like Jonah, born in sin, guilty of sin. We won't We want to make sure that we do not play the sin card too quickly when we hear stories like this about our friends who are in trouble when there are storms in their lives. Sin is not the only reason God will take us down, or in this case, swallow us up. It would be best to think more deeply and reflectively about what is happening in this story. The danger of assigning sin to Jonah's trouble, it can be an unintended accusation against God's character. I mean, maybe you have heard something like this before. Be careful. If you do that, God will get you. Or you'll hear other people, immature Christians, unthinking Christians say, don't pray for patience because God will send trouble in your life. Portraying God as a legalistic parent is a horrible thing to say about him. It is short-sighted, myopic. It doesn't consider his infinite love. His infinite mercy, His patience, His forbearance, His grace, it doesn't consider the greater purposes that He may be orchestrating in an individual's life. Job's friend made this mistake while missing the point that God had bigger fish to fry. Criticizing Job as a sinner is shallow thinking laced with legalism. Legalism says that God blesses or curses us based on our performance. Not only are the thoughts that God punishes us every time we sin uncharitable toward His character, if it were true, all of us would have landed in hell a long time ago. I mean, even our good works are stinking. Who can stand before a holy God? And so we want to reflect deeper on God. We want to reflect deeper on our troubles and and how all this relates to us. And so in Jonah 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. And so even though God prepared a big fat fish for Jonah, it did not diminish, diminish his great love for his servant not one iota. And so if you are a Christian, there is no other way to think about God. You can never say that there is a moment in your Christian life where God does not love you, and it doesn't matter what you are going through. What you're going through matters, but what you're going through does not alter God's love for you. There is an indisputable biblical tension here. God loves you, and God will prepare trouble for you. Now, somehow, our theology has to accommodate both of these things at the same time. If our theology does not, we will drown in despair 
and discouragement. There have been times when circumstances seemed to be closing in on me, and I was so discouraged that I had forgotten the core truth of God's love. Has there ever been a time when you thought maybe that God did not love you and Christianity was not real? At this point, I want to suggest something that may appear strikingly odd to you, and so just if you can, bear with me and, and hold on to this question that I'm going to ask you. What if you only had the stuff that you were thankful for in the last 48 hours? Some of you may say that I have not been thankful at all in the last 48 hours. Then you would have no stuff. Or what if God only gave you the things that you have expressed gratitude for receiving? And some may say, well, I'm just not a grateful person. Well, then you're not going to receive anything. I mean, gratitude is a big deal. And so as you examine the last 48 hours of your life, as I examine mine, how does gratitude stack up? Is there a gratitude list over the past two days? Now, the purpose of my question is diagnostic. It, in, it intends to measure the condition of your heart, particularly how you relate to God while living in a corrupt and discouraging world. See, our, our world is not going to change. It's going to continue to be dark, dismal. It's going to continue to spin out of control. So this is the context of our lives. This is the storm that we all live in, whether it's, not a, whether it's a personal storm or not. There is a macro storm that we all live in. Would we be characterized as a grateful person? Are we seeing God as a great God of love that's teaching us, growing us, maturing us? He is with us. Would you be characterized as a grateful person? Where would you be on the scale if grumbling was zero and gratitude was 10? One of the oddities of Christianity is the seemingly universal deficiency of grateful hearts. When you think about who you are and what you have, there should be an evident and authentic response of gratitude. Think about this. This is how Jonah said it in chapter 2. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. John Oswald said this, God never decrees a humiliation for which there is not a corresponding exaltation. Now, it might be good to rewind the tape just a little bit, about 30 seconds, and remind yourself where Jonah was when he talked about his gratitude to God. He was in the belly of a big, fat fish. Pretty cool, eh? Okay, maybe pretty cool is not the best way to say it. How about this? Pretty profound, eh? When life is strangling you, what comes out of your mouth? After a few days in the belly of your trouble, how quickly do you regain your spiritual equilibrium so that praise and gratitude and thanksgiving begin to flow out of your mouth? 
It may be good to think about the gospel at this point. God decreed humiliation, going back to that Oswald quote. John Oswald said, God never decrees a humiliation for which there is not a corresponding exaltation. And so as you think about the gospel, God decreed and humiliation for his dear son. But he did not do this without decreeing his exaltation. And you read that in Philippians 2, 8 and 9, where God has highly exalted him. And so at some level of our confessional hearts, we know that God will correct all wrongs. We will overcome the evil in this world. We also know there is a divine purpose in the troubles that He allows into our lives. The problem is not so much what we know, our confessional beliefs, our orthodoxy. Still, the key is how we practically live out our theology, our functional confession, our orthopraxy, when life is going haywire and we cannot perceive God. The problem with a thankless heart is that it reveals poor practical theology, our functional belief, our functional confession. How you think about and how you live out God in your daily life, and nothing will tell the truth about your heart better than being in deep water. We can trust Him even when we can't trace Him. That is what John Newton said. And when we're in that place where we can't trace God, or as Job said in chapter 23, I can't find Him anywhere, we can still trust Him. Job said it this way, for He knows the way that I take, and when He has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. If our thanksgiving is rooted in our experience, then our gratitude will be the equivalent of a roller coaster. Some days we'll be up and grateful. Other days we'll be down and grumbling. If our gratitude is more about what we get or do not get, our gratitude will center on ourselves. Circumstance-centered gratitude is about the person. It's about me. It asks, what have you done for me lately, God? If our difficulties do not govern our thanksgiving, our gratitude is God-centered. This practical application of the doctrine of God, theology proper, it will steady us through any storm that he brings our way. Give some props to our old friend Job here. Though he may have stumbled through 42 chapters of unremitting difficulty with a few mistakes along the way, he was not utterly out of step with the Lord you all know this passage in the very first chapter, end of chapter 1. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. We see this at the beginning of the calamity that God brought into his life. His eye was not on what God gave or what God took away. His eye was not on God's hand, but he was focused on God himself. He focused his heart on the holy name of the Lord God. Genuine biblical thanksgiving is more about who God is than what he has done for me lately. 
Our deepest and most authentic gratitude fixes itself on the character of God. Gratitude and the character of God. Character of God and gratitude flows out of it. Gratitude based solely on experience is like it's like someone repenting because someone caught him. But if a person repents because he is ashamed and broken before a holy God, then he has a repentance that leads to life. It is probably not genuine if his repentance is more about changing his situational difficulty or gaining acceptance from his preferred people group. I'm bringing repentance into this discussion because if we do not have authentic gratitude, especially when we are in trouble, then we do need to repent right now. We must change. We see genuine gratitude and sincere repentance in Jonah's life. He repented, and when he repented, gratitude came. Therefore, if gratitude is not there, then we have to repent. He was grateful to God while he was in the belly of the well. And we repent to God, even though his circumstances do not change, and do not change, do not change, even though our circumstances do not change. You see, Jonah still had to go to Nineveh. Nothing changed. He still had to do what God asked him to do. We cannot control our gratitude by our circumstances. Jonah was grateful while he was in the well. Repentance cannot be a trick to change our circumstances is the point here. Jonah still had to do what God had called him to do. Sometimes people will repent to get out of trouble. Jonah had to repent, and he stayed in the trouble. He had to do the thing that he was running from. And so what's the point? Well, in Jonah 2.9, we get this. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The remedy for both gratitude and repentance is a grand vision and theological understanding of who God is. Jonah repented, gratitude came, but all of that flowed out of this grand vision that he began to recalibrate his mind with what he previously knew, but he had gospel amnesia, and now he has recalibrated his mind to a grand theological understanding of who God is, a more extensive view of God that has authentically affected our souls will make us genuinely grateful and ready to repent. And so the question for us is whether we adequately and theologically steward the trouble God has brought into our lives. As you see in the story of Jonah, there are at least two good reasons the fish swallowed him up. His gratitude needed to be rooted in God, and his repentance needed to be rooted in God. Both of those things were missing. If our troubles do not teach us how to be grateful and how to repent appropriately, we may be missing the point of our troubles. The title of this is, Do You Understand the Point of Your Trouble? If you want to read a full transcript of what I've written here, please go to lifeovercoffee.com and you can find that transcript. By the way, don't know if you know this or not, but if you go to the bottom of all of our articles on our website, there is a print button right 
there in the middle. It's pretty large, right under the article, and you can print it off, and then you can use it personally. You can write it up. You can use it as a you can write on it. You can use it as a homework assignment. Use it in your own discipleship, your own counseling. There are a lot of people that use our resources uh, in their discipleship endeavors, in their small group meetings, church meetings. We want you to use our content, and so there is a print feature on all of our articles just in case you did not know that. And the one here is, do you understand the point of your trouble? Now, if you go to that article, you'll find a full podcast also a video, and you can read as well. And so it's in a read-watch-listen format. Let me share a few CTAs with you. Number one, are you a grateful person when trouble comes into your life? Now, we always put our best foot forward. That is our impulse anyway. And, and so we can tone down or round the corners off our perspectives about ourselves, which can be a, a, an illusion that we want, to, we want to live in. And so maybe it would be good for you to talk to someone who actually knows you well and say, hey, uh, when trouble comes into my life, I mean, is gratitude there? I mean, maybe not initially. That, that could be a tough putt for any of us. But do I quickly come to a place of gratitude, recognizing, I mean, I have this grand vision of who God is, and I know that He's working good into my life, and so am I quickly recalibrated to gratitude when a storm comes into my life? What does your answer reveal about your theology? Regardless of what your answer is to that question, it does reveal your theology, how you view God. And I'm not again, I'm not suggesting that gratitude should immediately manifest when problems arise. That would be exceptional, depending on the severity of the problem. But again, we have to quickly come to that place to where we have thankful hearts. As Paul would say, be thankful in all things. And if we can't get there, then we're missing the point of our trouble. Eventually, Jonah came to a place of gratitude, and then out of that gratitude, we see repentance acted out, and then, of course, the fish spit him up, and he went and to do the thing that God had called him to do. Number two, is your repentance motivated by a desire to know God better or to change your circumstances? Now, I'm not uploading and attaching any kind of ill motive to uh, your repentance. I'm just asking an obvious question that we all really do understand because there have been situations in our lives where we repented, and maybe I should put that in air quotes, because our repentance was not motivated by a desire to know God better. We did not have a God-centered worldview on what was happening to us. We were just thinking in the weeds, horizontally. We were thinking about getting out of our trouble, and repentance seems like a good course of action to take care of. Of course, if it's that kind of repentance. It is worldly sorrow. It is not repentance at all. The question is, is your repentance motivated by a desire to know God better or to change your circumstances? And what does your answer reveal about your theology? Again, going back to our theology, our grander vision of who God is. The Lord can see in the dark. And if pragmatism is our motivation, it just won't work. And there's no need to even call it repentance because that is not what it is. What we need are genuine hearts that are oriented to God. Now, based on what you have heard, what is your primary point of your trouble? 
would you think about, I mean, and this is subjective, and I realize that, but ask God and maybe just pull aside and have a quiet time as you reflect on what you have heard here and, and try to discern God's mind in, in his primary point of the trouble. Jonah was missing it. When the storm came first, he missed it. And then the fish came, and so he began to get it. And it's like he's trying to teach me something. And I think most of us actually know. I think when trouble comes into my life, I, I can pretty much like, yeah, I know I need to address this or address that. And so the question is, what's the primary point of your trouble and how is that changing you? Because we need to go from understanding to actually transformation and working out a repentance process. Now, perhaps you're unclear and I, I get that on all that the Lord is doing. In fact, we are unclear on all that the Lord is doing because we cannot know the full mind of God, but we want to work with the information that we have. Sometimes discerning the mysteries of sovereignty and suffering can take years, and that's okay. You're not trying to comprehend everything. This is not pass and fail. This is, are we going to be moving toward Nineveh? Are we going to be moving in the right direction? And so we want to take this one mile marker at the at a time. And so what is he teaching you in this moment? Now, as you get a week and a month and a year and 10 years down the road, you will look back on it and the mysteries of sovereignty and suffering will become more clear to you. But right now, the question is, are you able to perceive parts of his ways in your trouble? And maybe if you would, you go back and you can read this article at lifeovercoffee.com. Do you understand the point of your trouble? I would encourage you to do Life Over Coffee with a friend. Take the article, the podcast, or the video. Read, watch, and listen, or listen uh, to it together with someone. And we have plenty of other resources on our website that you're welcome to take advantage of. Also, for those of you who are part of our supporting community, I thank you because you're the ones that make these resources free uh, to the world. And so just inexhaustible gratitude for you for uh, giving. Some of you uh, give out of your poverty, and I just appreciate that you're willing to give because you believe in what we're doing. And so thank you so much for giving or donating to our site. But for those of you who are supporting our ministry, you know that we have a private forum behind the paywall, and it's just for you. It's one way that we can honor you uh, for your contribution, for giving to this ministry and making this free to the world. And so if you have a question about this article and what's going on in Jonah's life as you're practically applying it to your life, go to our supporting members forum and ask that question, and we would love to serve you that way. Do you understand the point of your trouble? My name is Rick Thomas. You can find me at lifeovercoffee.com. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.